Good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors at Exilic. We're so glad to have you with us here today. James Clear, in his book Atomic Habits, tells the story of this guy named Laszlo Polgar. He had a mantra. A genius is not born, but is educated and trained. He and his wife, Clara, decided to test this theory on their own children by trying to raise them to become chess prodigies. So they filled their their house with uh, books about chess, with pictures of famous chess players. Their children played against each other constantly and competed in the best tournaments they could find. They did everything they could to encourage their children to become the best chess players in the world. And it worked. Susan, their oldest, started playing when she was four years old, and within six months, she was defeating adults. Sophia, the middle child, was a world champion by age 14, and a few years later, she became a grandmaster. Judith, the youngest, was the best of all. By the time she was five, she could beat her father. When she was 12, she was the youngest player ever listed on the top 100 chess players in the world. When she was 15, she became the youngest grandmaster of all time. And for 27 years, she was the best female chess player in the world. Laszlo and Clara knew that those closest to us have an enormous amount of power to influence who we become. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Atomic Spiritual Habits. We're looking at how we can intentionally develop habits that shape us to be more like Jesus. You know, one of the most effective ways to keep, to form and keep good spiritual habits is to surround yourself with people who have the values and habits that you want in your life. If you walk with a chest enthusiast, you become a chest enthusiast. If you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. But the opposite is true as well. Those closest to you can also bring you down. You can put years of hard work into starting a business, but if your business partner makes foolish decisions, they can bring it all to an end overnight. You may find yourself suddenly without a job, maybe in debt, maybe even open to a lawsuit. Your friends can influence your physical health too. A study published in the New England Journal of Medicine tracked 12,000 people for 32 years and found that a person's chances of becoming obese increased by 57% if he or she had a friend who became obese. Likewise, your friend's negativity can make you a more critical person. Your partner's indifference towards Christianity can turn your heart away from God. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Your relationships shape who you become. If you want to suffer harm, be the companion of fools. If you want to become wise, walk with the wise. This morning, I want to look at two ways to walk. First, walk continually with the wise. Secondly, walk intentionally with the wise. So first, walk continually with the wise. You know, part of what makes New York City great is being around so many diverse and innovative people. Edward Glaser writes in Triumph of the City, Cities enable collaboration, especially the joint production of knowledge that is mankind's most important creation. Ideas flow readily from person to person in the dense corridors of Bangalore and London. And people are willing to put up with high urban prices just to be around talented people, some of whose knowledge will rub off. Cities enable the collaboration that makes humanity shine most brightly. If we work in finance or law or journalism, 
Living in a place like New York City enables us to interact with some of the most talented and visionary people in our field. And those interactions influence us. That's why New York City can be so inspiring. And that's also why New York City challenges us to be the best that we can be. The bar is set high. You know, often we want to prove that we're the smartest person in the room. We want to impress our boss at the next meeting or have something insightful or witty to say to our friends. But if we want to become wise, our goal shouldn't be to be the smartest person in the room. Our goal should be to be the most foolish person in the room. Now that's pretty uncomfortable, but that's when we can really learn. That's why many of us pay to go to college, to learn from experts in our field of study. One of the reasons I chose to go to Westminster Seminary is because I thought it would be the most difficult program. It would challenge me the most. I would be surrounded by professors and students far smarter than me. If you want to become wise, spend time with people who are wise. Now, if you're new to the city or, or new to this church, I know it can be hard to build new relationships. I've made several big moves in my life. I moved from outside of Chicago to Washington State, uh, to Portland, Oregon, to Philadelphia, and then to New York City. I remember how hard it was to make new friends. And sometimes I did better than others. I made some great friends in Washington State, but in Portland, I lived there for three years and I, I never really did make any close friends. If you recently graduated from college, you might feel this acutely. You know, it's, it's totally normal. In college, you're surrounded by people who are your same age and who have similar interests. It's a lot more difficult to make friends once you graduate. Now, the only people you see every day are your coworkers and there's not necessarily a lot of informal time built into those interactions. And all these difficulties have just been compounded by quarantine. We're all tired of video chat. We're tired of this digital interaction. They can't replace the intimacy of face-to-face -face interactions. Kate Murphy wrote an article uh, a few weeks ago in the New York Times entitled, Why Zoom is Terrible. When we interact with people over video chat, we miss the tiny muscle movements in our eyes and mouth that help us subconsciously perceive emotion. So straining to read the other person without those subtle clues is part of what makes video chat so exhausting. Video chats have also been um, shown to inhibit trust since we can't really look at each other in the eye. Walking with the wise in quarantine is not ideal, but think long-term. Walking with the wise is a lifelong stroll. What can you do even today to begin that walk? If you're new to the church or just feel like you haven't yet made any close friends, who's one person you can reach out to this week? Now, it's important to say walking with the wise doesn't mean we should be closed off or judgmental. We're not called to shut out anyone we deem unwise. The church is called to be an open, inclusive community. We're not called to be selfish with our time. We're called to be open-handed and generous. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Walking consistently with the wise doesn't mean we should be snobbish or exclude others. What it does mean is that we should be intentional about whom we walk most closely with. The more time we spend with someone, the more they're going to influence us. The Pulgar sisters became great chess players because their whole family valued chess. Whom do you spend the most time with? And this principle applies to all areas of life. We should ask people to lunch who have achieved the goals that we have for our career. 
We should spend time with couples whose marriages we admire. But when the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom, first and foremost, it means following God. Proverbs 1.17 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The wise person is the one who reveres God. So when we talk about walking with the wise, more than anything else, we mean surrounding ourselves with people who encourage us in our walk with God. That's the beginning of true wisdom. Do you have those people in your life? Think especially of how your partner can influence you. My wife, Mifeng, has changed me in the three years we've been married. Aside from imparting a, a craving for Vietnamese banut, she's also made me more flexible, empathetic, and kind. Your partner's taste in music or their enthusiasm for baseball can rub off on you. Likewise, they can point you to Christ when you're anxious or cause you to question God's goodness when life gets tough. That's why in Deuteronomy 7, God commanded the Israelites to not marry those who didn't worship him. He said, they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Even Solomon, who was, quote, wiser than all other men, was led away from God in this way. And we read in 1 Kings 11, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. In fact, it's Solomon's unfaithfulness to God in 1 Kings 11 that leads to the fracturing of the kingdom of Israel into two kingdoms, the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah. Solomon's marriage to someone who did not worship God had history-altering consequences. Your partner can turn your heart towards God or away from God. When we talk about walking with the wise, think also about walking with wisdom himself. Wisdom is an attribute of God. It's part of his character. And Christians have always understood Jesus to be the personification of wisdom. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. So more than anything else, walking with the wise means walking with Jesus, wisdom himself. If you want to be wise, make that part of your daily and weekly routine. And the most important habit is worshiping with the church every Sunday morning. That's the primary way we grow in our faith. If you only take up one new habit in the sermon series, let it be coming more consistently to Sunday service. It's one hour out of 168 hours in a week. That's an atomic spiritual habit that can make an enormous difference in your life. And if that's already a habit of yours, then work to make reading the Bible and prayer a part of your daily routine. Maybe a new habit could be memorizing a verse of the Bible. That's a great way to have God's word circling around in your head throughout the day. And you could start with the verse from this sermon. Hopefully by the end, you'll pretty much have it memorized already. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you want to become wise, walk continually with the wise. Secondly, walk intentionally with the wise. It's not just about how much time you spend with wise people. It's also about the quality of that time. Last year, Justin Soon, the founder of the cryptocurrency company Tron, paid almost $4.6 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Granted, it was to benefit charity, but Buffett has been doing these auctions for 20 years now, and still every year there are people interested in paying an enormous amount of money to, to spend a small amount of time with him and ask him for advice. It's hard to put a value on purposeful interactions with wise people. 
Now, I remember when I was in seminary and sometimes a three-minute conversation with my professor after class would illuminate something I'd been struggling to understand for weeks. Spending the right kind of time with people is just as important as spending consistent time with them. What do you do when you have time with wise people? You know, three minutes with my professor, I could ask him about the weather or I could ask him a puzzling question. Now, there's nothing wrong with small talk. We can talk about the weather, but walking with the wise means more than just small talk. No matter how wise my professor is, if all I do is talk to him about the weather, it's probably not going to do much to help me become wise. One way to walk intentionally with the wise is to seek advice from the right people. That's why political leaders surround themselves with trusted advisors or why public companies are managed by a board of directors. They know the importance of surrounding themselves with wise people, especially people with skills and expertise that they themselves don't have. When you're wrestling with a difficult decision about what path to take with your career or whether or not you should get engaged to your partner, who do you go to for advice? Have you developed relationships with wise people in the church you can go to when you have questions or doubts about your faith? I mentioned before that in 1 Kings 11, Solomon's wives led him away from God, and as a result, God said he would fracture the kingdom of Israel into two. Well, that split happens in the next chapter, when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, disregards the wisdom of his father's advisors. When Rehoboam became king of Israel, his people asked him to lighten their load. Evidently, Solomon had become a harsh ruler in his old age. And so those who had advised Solomon recommended that Rehoboam listen to his people and consider himself their servant. But Rehoboam's friends advised him to exert his dominance and be even harder on his people. And that's what he did. He said, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. And when Israel saw that Rehoboam didn't listen to them, every tribe but the tribe of Judah rebelled against him. That's how the kingdom of Israel is divided. Solomon is led astray by companions who don't worship God, And then Rehoboam ignores the wisdom of his father's advisors and instead takes the advice of his foolish companions. The companion of fools will suffer harm. If you want to become wise, you need to develop relationships with wise men and women whom you can go to for advice. Walking intentionally with the wise can also mean inviting a close friend to speak truth into your life and hold you accountable. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. One of the reasons some people pay for an exercise class or a trainer is because then they're not at it on their own. There are other people who will push them to do one more set or to run just a little bit faster. We need friends who know us and who can encourage us in our walk with God, especially when we veer off track. Now, personally, I have friends who hold me accountable, but the person who knows me the best by far is my wife. It's important that I welcome her rebuke when I'm being impatient, unkind, or selfish. And that's not always easy. I have to swallow my pride. But that accountability makes me a better person. And now maybe you've been thinking about who your friends are and you don't think they're really cultivating wisdom in your life. So should you disregard those relationships? There might be a time when you need to take a step back from certain relationships, but don't give up on them until you first make an effort to try to change the conversation. Maybe those relationships can bring new life if you initiate spiritual conversations about what you learned from Sunday sermon, or if you suggest you read a book together and discuss it. 
It might be awkward at first if you're changing the established dynamic, but if it helps you all become wise, it's worth it. If you're a parent, it's your responsibility to foster wisdom in your home. The proverb says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You're that wise person to your kids. And I know you may not feel wise, you may not feel equipped, that's okay. What can you do to grow in wisdom? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And if you're not a parent but you want to have kids someday, what can you do now, today, to prepare? Proverbs 1, 8-9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Your kids might not show you gratitude in the moment, but when you train them in wisdom, you're blessing their lives. You know, this time of quarantine is difficult, but it's also a tremendous opportunity as your kids spend more time with you and learn from you. You know, one of the most godly and evangelistic things you can do is raise children to know the Lord. Of people who were raised by two non-religious parents, 36% are Christians today. But of people who were raised by two Protestant parents, 84% are Christians today. That's a big difference. And if their parents talked about religion, quote, a lot, that goes all the way up to 90% who are Christians today. Whether it feels like it or not, you have a tremendous amount of influence in your children's lives. The Polgar sisters became some of the best chess players in the world because that's what their parents encouraged. Make it a habit to come to worship together every Sunday morning, to pray and read the Bible as a family during the week. Show your children what it's like to walk with the wise. If you're a husband, you have a special call. More than anyone else, it's your responsibility to lead your wife and your family in wisdom and love for God. Pray with your wife. Discuss with her how you want to be generous with your money this month. Talk to her about what God has been teaching you. And most importantly, when we talk about walking intentionally with the wise, we have to think about what it means to walk intentionally with Jesus. It's not just about the amount of time we spend with Jesus, although that's certainly important. It's also about the quality of that time. What do you need to do to prepare your heart and mind for worship on Sunday morning? What do you need to finish beforehand so that Sunday can be a day of rest? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that before we bring an offering to God, we must first reconcile with anyone we have wronged. And in Mark 11, Jesus says, when we pray, we must forgive anyone who has wronged us so that our Heavenly Father may forgive us. Are there any relationships that you need to repair in order to worship God freely on Sunday morning? Is there a sin you need to repent of? And I know it's all the harder to focus our hearts on Sunday morning when we have this digital format, but it's still so important to our souls. We need this time of rest and refreshment. For what it's worth, the best strategy my wife and I have found for Sunday mornings is to get out of bed, get dressed, and sit up a couple chairs in front of the TV. Whatever you decide is helpful. What, how can you remove distractions on Sunday morning or during the week when you're reading your Bible and praying? If you want to become wise, walk continually with the wise and walk intentionally with the wise. But why is it so hard? The concept is simple. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. It's easy to understand why is it so hard to do. 
Why do we still make bad decisions and say foolish things? We've been in quarantine for months now. Why is it still so difficult to keep a healthy daily and weekly routine? And this is where Christianity is different than secular advice. If you read Atomic Habits, you'll learn some very helpful principles. And that's great. I read secular books on leadership and productivity all the time. I learn a lot from them. But no matter how much you read or or how fervently you try, you're still going to struggle. If you're 30 years old now and you strive to walk with God for the rest of your life, you're going to die a much wiser person than you are today. But you're not going to be some perfect being. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to believe and say foolish things. And even if we endeavor to avoid the companionship of fools, we still live in a world where other people's foolishness affects us. COVID-19 has made it clear how interdependent we are, not only as a city or a country, but as a world. The killing of George Floyd is a tragic reminder of unjust suffering. Secular books can give us great advice on how to live wisely, but they can't tell us why we can't just through hard work and dedication just become perfect and avoid suffering harm. Why can't we just apply these simple principles and become completely wise? What is it that always seems to hold us back? Christianity answers this deeper, more foundational question. It says the reason we always struggle is because sin has corrupted our very nature. Our desires are misplaced and short-sighted. Instead of loving the God who offers us every good thing, we turn our own way. Adam and Eve walked with God in paradise with everything they could ever want. But as soon as the serpent offered them tree from the one or fruit from the one tree God told them not to eat from, they turned their back on him. Sin has deprived us of our ability to live wisely. God shows us the path to wisdom, but we feel so often pulled in another direction. God came down to us as wisdom incarnate and walked among us. But even the apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus every day for three years, still denied he even knew him when Jesus was arrested. Instead of walking with the wise, we make ourselves the companion of fools when we go along with the world and betray the God who loves us. And for that, we deserve to suffer harm. We deserve to be forsaken by the God we forsake. But here's the good news of Christianity. Jesus Christ, wisdom himself, in perfect communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit, willingly became the companion of fools like you and I and suffered the harm we deserve that we might walk with him again. He didn't reject us when we rejected him. He went even further to win us back to himself. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice crawl out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Jesus paid the price for our sin that we might walk with him in newness of life.
And in that new life, the Spirit of Christ himself dwells within us and reverses the corruption of sin. Our great hope is that one day we will be made perfect. But it won't be to our credit. We'll be made perfect in the day when God conforms us into the image of his Son, and we will walk again with him in paradise. Let's pray. God, we confess that our best efforts fall horribly short of you. You make known to us the path of life, but we go instead our own way. Forgive us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope you give us that one day we will be made perfect when you conform us into his image. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us now give to God generously and sacrificially. As a part of our worship, we give back to the one who graciously gives us all things.